An air of mystery haunts all but the final stanza of this Wunderhorn-esque song that searches the depths of the soul for relief from fear and suffering. Even in this Nachtmusik, a title later associated with two movements of the Seventh Symphony, Mahler grapples with the fundamental questions of existence that pursued him throughout his life. How can we find a light to lead us out of the darkness? How soothe the pain of our unending suffering? Light and darkness are contrasting symbolic images in many of Mahler's works, whether directly referenced in the texts he used, for example in the Eighth Symphony, or implicitly emerging from the character of his music, as in the contrasting subjects of the First Symphony's first movement. As in the Second Symphony's Urlicht movement, whose very title refers to light, in Umitternacht, Mahler finds an answer to the fundamental questions of human existence that underlie the poem in a simple faith in God. Yet the powerful declaration of faith with which the song concludes seems a rather superficial reaction to the distraught nocturnal meditations to which it responds. The final verse simply does not ring true, overstating its case when viewed in the context of the entire song. According to Adorno, the power which now appears has powerlessness too close at its heels, were its promised power a reality, and not still simply a promise, it would not need to protest its power so loudly. Predominantly stark and opaque sonorities, sparse orchestration, expressive intensity, and rhythms of angst-ridden regularity create a bleak atmosphere that is more pervasive than in any other of Mahler's night songs. One senses the passage of time in the regularity of stepwise motion, in a steady stream of even notes, resembling the motion of a clock, or, as Stuart Fader suggested, the beating of the heart that can be more easily heard in the silence of midnight. When he was writing U Mitternacht, Mahler was convalescing from a serious illness from which he had to endure severe pain, sometimes lasted for several hours without remission. In such circumstances, the passage of time can seem unbearably slow and tortuous. Mahler found a release from his disturbed state of mind and prolonged suffering by projecting a feeling of inner torment into the music of this song. Umitternacht has several musical connections with Ich bin der Welt abandon gekommen. They share a gloomy atmosphere that evokes loneliness. Motivic elements predominate. Descending scales, that we'll call motive X, symbolize the continuity and regularity of time. A dotted rhythmic figure that drops by a minor third, which we'll call motive Y, is answered by a variant of it on a falling minor second of woe, which we'll call motive Y prime, and a super octave dive, motive Z, the symbol of the abyss or of death, usually appearing at a climax or at the conclusion of a verse. These motives provide the principal material for the entire song. Motives X, Y, and Y prime first appear during the introduction, while motive Z occurs initially at the end of the first verse. In each of the five verses, these motives are both contained in the vocal line and presented in numerous variations in the accompaniment, a typical Mahlerian characteristic. The contrast between the midnight visions of the first four verses and the sudden explosion of daylight in the last verse 
foreshadows the construction of the Seventh Symphony. A brief introduction opens the song, during which motive Y is displayed in haunting open harmonies by two clarinets, to which a single flute responds with motive Y prime, followed by the descending scale of motive X, played by the fourth horn in its lowest register in Phrygian mode. It is midnight, the darkest hour, when, as Nietzsche suggested, the absence of light obscures our vision of the external world, only to illuminate our inner being with bewildering thoughts about the nature of our existence. The three motives first presented during the introduction wind around the vocal line that enters on a variant of motive Y prime. Constructed in tripartite form, the vocal melody consists of a rising dotted figure ending with a falling second that connotes the motive of woe. For convenience, we'll call this part of the melody A. Then a descending stepwise phrase, which we'll call B, based upon motive X, and a shortened version of A that replaces the second two of its four bars with a cadential dotted rhythmic phrase, we'll call C, resolves on a falling fourth. On motive Y, the vocal line resolves into a cadence. An oboe responds with motive Y prime that falls on a shrill plunge to the tonic on motive Z, followed by the descending scalar motive X. Shifting meters add a feeling of timelessness and weightlessness while loosening the musical line. The second stanza begins after another statement of the haunting dotted rhythmic chords of motive Y in clarinets. Although there is no significant difference in the mood between the first two stanzas, Mahler distinguishes them by anticipating thematic variations that will later be used for the powerful final verse. The tempo becomes more fleeting as tension mounts, yet a sense of hope arises with the transposition of tonality to the major. Mahler begins the second verse with the same rising stepwise phrase used for the beginning of the first, but with emphasis shifting to a rising upbeat with dotted rhythms played as half notes. An alteration of the vocal melody takes on characteristics of the longing motive, appropriate to the song's subject. 
the remainder of the melodic line is also revised, giving it more of an upward turn, thereby eliminating the falling second that gave the first verse a tragic character, and reversing the downward pull of motive X with a reversed arching phrase that ends on an upswing. In a single measure that interrupts the vocal line during the second verse, the oboe seems to want to sing a vocal phrase from Ich bin der Welt, but wanders in a different direction. As the oboe continues its arioso-like expansion of the vocal phrase, the singer inserts another statement of the words of the song's title, Um Mitternacht, on a variation of the cadence that closed the first verse, here inverting the phrase with which that verse began. As earlier, the latter part of the second verse is but an extended version of its opening phrase, accompanied by the continuation of the oboe's expanded line, and closing with the refrain-like statement of Um Mitternacht, sung to motive Y prime. The tonality returns to the tonic, B minor, for the third stanza, which is introduced by motives X and Y. It begins just as the prior stanza ended, with motive Y prime. Here Mahler returns to the vocal line used for the first verse. He varies the last three-note semi-cadence slightly. An oboe engages in a duet with the singer, interweaving various permutations of motive X. At the conclusion of this duet, the bass sings motive Y prime to the recurring utterances of Umitternacht, and the oboe plays a typical Malarian phrase consisting of a dotted rhythmic figure that falls by a fourth, followed by a falling second that begins a third step higher.
Once again, motives X and Y introduce the next stanza, which itself begins on motive Y prime, as did the third stanza. This time, the longing motive appears in the vocal line. The tempo increases on the phrase nicht kommt ich sie entscheiden, as the vocal line again wanders aimlessly on a stepwise arching phrase. At the height of this phrase, the singer suddenly bears his internalized feelings mit großem Ausdruck, with great expressiveness, on a melismatic figure sung to the words entscheiden. It is as if to emphasize the frustration of the uncertainty symbolized by the darkness of midnight. Overlapping scales of motive X in bassoons and horns lead to the closing line of the fourth verse, which recalls an almost identical phrase appearing at the end of the first verse. Again, the dreaded death leap of motive Z sounds in the oboe, a chilling presentment of doom. The principal tempo returns for a brief orchestral introduction to the last stanza, composed of the same musical material that serves as a bridge passage between each stanza, primarily motives X and Y. Although the final verse will be very different in character from the preceding ones, Mahler opens it with the same version of motive Y prime that he used at the beginning of all the verses except the second. While the next line begins with the same phrase used for the second line of the first, third, and fourth stanzas, the music quickly becomes more assertive, as the tonality changes to the tonic major. At last, the singer has found the strength and courage to declaim, Habisch die Macht in meinem Hand gegeben. Trumpets and trombones, appearing for the first time in the song, ring out with great power to reinforce the singer's stirring assertion of faith. Demonstrative military calls usher in a grandiose apotheosis with which the song concludes, the one and only time such music appears in the Rickardmeter. With the strength of faith, the singer calls out to his maker. Stentorian wind chords and glistening harp arpeggios buttress his declamations. The tempo quickly increases, propelled by the singer's self-assurance transfigured by revelation. An elongated version of Motive X is sung to the words Uber tot und Leben, during which the original version of this motive is played quickly by two trumpets. 
An even more emphatic horn call precedes the singer's outcry of Du hältst die Wacht, to a glorious assertion of the motive of redemption, which is repeated a step higher for greater emphasis and embellished by harp arpeggios and glissandos. Even more forcefully, the singer cries out to his lord to be his protector, imbued with the power of enlightenment that shines forth on diminished wind chords, the voice strains to reach heavenward. Then, on an augmented version of the descending scalar motive X, supported by horns and trumpets, the singer repeats the penultimate line, ending on a falling major second of farewell. As he holds on to the first syllable of Mitternacht with resonating horns, motive X rings out with joy in the other winds. In a slow but more majestic tempo, befitting the solemnity of the music, the song ends on a two-bar plagal cadence worthy of a Lutheran service. A flourish of rising arpeggios in the harp and piano finishes off with a full orchestral swell on the final chord. Such a rousing conclusion to a series of songs of a generally delicate, sensitive, and introverted character seems contradictory, if not disingenuous. Yet its enthusiasm and dramatic declamation is a fitting conclusion, at least as much so as the finale of the Seventh Symphony is when viewed in the context of its preceding movements. <laughs> 